Our Father, we do thank you that you are a good and gracious God, that you are a God who speaks that we might know you and know you even more through your word. Father, we pray this morning that as we go through this passage, you would help us uh, to see how we should be merciful and studious and fruitful disciples of your Son, who is uh, the great Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, back in the days before caller ID, when you used to use phones that were tethered to a wall somewhere, I remember answering the phone many times as a child and being mistaken for my father. Now, my voice broke when I was about six, so I had a, I had a lot of years of this, kind of answering the phone. Sometimes people would say, Mr Dicker, and I would say, yes. Uh, but of course, they were looking for someone else. Sometimes it was like 10 minutes into a conversation before I finally got the opportunity to say to them, uh, actually, it's not, it's not John, it's Michael, his son. Uh, and that was either because they talked too much or because they were maybe spilling some information that I thought was really quite useful to know. I, I never managed to intercept any calls from the principal, which was unfortunate. Uh, but as soon as they found out that I wasn't John, they would say, oh, Michael, you sound so much like your father, right? Of course. Uh, I've also been guilty of saying the same kind of things about others when I've noticed a striking similarity between a parent and their child. You know, wow, you you look so much like your mother. You know, you have your mother's eyes or whatever it's going to be, you know, often then kind of responded to with a a teenage kind of groan and then the rolling of the eyes, you know, thanks, like I've heard that before, thanks for comparing me to my parents and and all that kind of thing. Uh, And then Fee and I, I've noticed in our conversations, continue uh, to talk about how our own kids also share our traits for for good or for for worse, I guess. Uh, Obviously, I claim all the good traits as my own, uh, although I can't claim their good looks, obviously that's, obviously that's not me. Uh, no doubt you have also experienced something similar as either a child or a parent. You know, when someone says to you, you're a chip off the old block, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, or you are your mother's daughter, or your father's son, or your father's daughter, or your, or your mother's son. Uh, for some of us, I think that comparison might be the last thing that you want to hear. Uh, You don't want to be like your parents, you want to be your own person. For others, it could be the most flattering compliment that you could receive. Uh, You'd love to be just like your mum or your dad or perhaps even your grandparents, if that's who you're being compared to. And this is what I think we have here in our passage before us this morning. You see, Jesus lays out a whole bunch of family traits the family traits of those who belong to the Heavenly Father. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you're not to go your own way. You're not to be your own person. You are not to live as the world around you, as the sinners behave. That's what we heard last week. Instead, you are to be like your Father. You are to be children of the Most High, he says in verse 35. You are to be the good students of your teacher. And who is our teacher but the son, the very son of the father? I wonder if from this passage, the modified saying of our own idiom might go something like this. As like the father, so like the son, so like the disciple. These are the family traits that Jesus takes us through and these are going to be our three points for this morning. Like father like son, like disciple. 
And so here's the first of the family traits, like father, and we're looking at verses 36 to 38. Jesus says, Be merciful as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, as we heard last week, uh, we have been given a new foundation for life. We've been given a new teaching for life. We've been given a new way of life in the words of Jesus. And that way of life is a way of radical and overflowing love that pours out in response to the blessing and the mercy that God himself has poured out on us. Uh, It is love that does good in the face of hate. It, It is love that calls down blessing when others call down curses. It is love that goes without expecting anything in return. It is love that reflects our status as children of the Most High God, that we indeed have received mercy from the one who is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked, that God the Father will not judge and condemn you, but instead he forgives and he gives generously, a good measure, shaken together, right, and pressed down and poured into your lap. And so Jesus says, as children of the Father, be merciful just as your Father is merciful and do not judge and do not condemn, but forgive and give generously because you will not be judged and you will not be condemned because you will be forgiven and you will be given a good and generous measure. So, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, they're just short lines, aren't they? The things that Jesus says there. But I think it's really difficult not to get caught up in how we have to apply each and every one of those individual commands. It's hard to just not get caught up in the details of each of those. Because when I read them, my first thought is, well, isn't it just plain naivety to not show any kind of discernment or judgment? Right? What if I see someone trying to get their toast out of the toaster with a knife? I know no one here would ever do that. Should I just be like, well, you know, let them go their own way? I don't want to be the judge here. Maybe that's sort of some kind of Darwinian evolutionary kind of cleaning of the gene pool kind of thing going on there. What if I see someone consistently spelling there, there and there with the wrong there, there and there? Or what if they keep pluralising you as use and then spelling it as U-S-E? Do I say nothing? Can I really say nothing and just let them go their own way? What if it makes them look silly? And isn't it also as unjust not to condemn someone who is doing something woeful, not to speak up when you see something terrible going on? And actually, when you look at the passage here, didn't Jesus just rattle off a series of condemning woes? Have a look there at verses 24 to 26. Woe to you, woe to you, says Jesus. And in our own passage this morning, in verse 42, Jesus is about to condemn people who are hypocrites and call them as such. 
And so shouldn't we also condemn injustice and abuse and exploitation and evil? Not to mention, how do we apply the complexity of forgiveness and also the limits of our generosity? And you're right, good questions. Uh, These are all difficult ways, I think, uh, to apply the complexity of these uh, commands in a broken and sinful world. A world that is full of evil schemes, where things don't present often as easy as you like to think they are, and where there are a multitude of fractured relationships. And I think Jesus himself is about to illustrate how to exercise proper judgment when we get to verses 41 and 42. But I think here in these verses, in verses 36 to 38, the point here is not so much to critique proper judgment and condemnation. What Jesus is here doing is critiquing the attitude that fails to show mercy, the attitude that fails to show compassion, the attitude that actually wants to keep an enemy as an enemy, to keep them at arm's length, to always treat them as an other, to depersonalise them, so you don't have to forgive them. In fact, you might even enjoy hating them and despising their very acts. Jesus is critiquing and condemning the attitude that fails to show mercy as our Heavenly Father shows mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I always want to try and find the exception to the rule. I'm looking for all the justifications in this passage that I can find so that I actually don't have to do what Jesus says here. But you have to know first how to live the rule before you can then work out what the exceptions are. And the rule for life here is this. Be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Be compassionate towards others. Not judgmental, not savouring and relishing judgmentalism towards others. Now, because you remember that God the Father will not judge and will not condemn you, but instead He forgives and He gives generously to you. These are challenging words to hear, so let me pause and pray before we move on. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Make us merciful as you are merciful to us. Amen. The first family trait, you are to be like the Father. The second, you are to be like the Son of the Father. So verses 39 to 42. Let me read them out for you. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I think this passage has perhaps one of the best-known sayings of Jesus and one of the great graphic illustrations of hypocrisy. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I'm sure many parent has come undone and be demolished by this same kind of argument. You know what you say to your kids? You're spending too much time in front of the TV, you're having too much screen time, and then they point out that you're on your phone texting and scrolling and looking at Instagram. Or my favourite, I said don't shout! When they work that one out, it's humiliating. But you don't want to miss the thrust of this passage by skipping too quickly to this very clever and graphic illustration. You don't want to skip over verses 39 and 40 too quickly because the whole thrust thrust of the passage is here in these verses. And what is it? It is this. If you follow Jesus, then you follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. And what Jesus is doing here in this part of the passage is critiquing our sight. And the big question you have to ask yourself is, where do you look for the way to life? What is your vision for the way of life? Where will you find it? Because the blind can't lead the blind. And before you can show others the way to life, you yourself must know the way to life. I mean, imagine how ridiculous it would be to tell others about life and hope in Jesus, that there is life and hope in the words of Jesus, in his deeds, in his death, in his resurrection and his ascension. Imagine telling other people that good news, that you yourself do not follow his words, that you yourself do not know his deeds or trust in his death and his resurrection and ascension as the way to life. Imagine you instead relied upon the words of your favourite celebrity activist. There's many to choose from. And the, the, you rely on the movements of the housing market and the economy and you trust in your own ingenuity and you trust in your own work ethic and intelligence and your own wealth as the way to real life. But you were still telling others that they could find life and hope in Jesus. Can you imagine that? Well, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That would be as ridiculous as, I don't know, maybe saying to someone you've got a speck of sawdust in your eye when you yourself have a telegraph pole sticking out of your head. Isn't that what Jesus says here? It's ridiculous. Now, I've got uh, quite a handful of really good eye stories that I'm happy to tell you after. I can tell you the one about... Uh, taking a tiny piece of concrete out of a friend's eye at work while standing on an eight-foot ladder and using a uh, shopping docket to scrape it out. I can tell you the one about the kind of 10-millimetre piece slither of glass that I found in my eye that had been there all day after coming off a building site. I can tell you about uh, the piece of metal I had in my eye for two days that rusted. I'll tell you about those others later. (laughs) But one of the things I do know about eyes is that it's very difficult to carry on as normal, like everything is kind of business as usual, when something isn't right with your vision. Maybe you can go two days, but after that, it really does get quite annoying. You can pretend like there's nothing wrong until the cows come home, but at some point, you're going to need to face it. There is something wrong with your eyes and with your vision, and you'll be twice the fool if you don't deal with it. And so let me ask you about your vision. How is your vision for life 
and where it's to be found. Do you know where you're going in this life? Or are you just making it up as you go along, hoping someone else here knows the way? Maybe like the blind leading the blind. I don't know if anyone here has ever been to this little hole-in-the-wall bakery in Chinatown, where they are, Chinatown, Chinatown, where they sell Emperor's Puffs. Has anyone ever had Emperor's Puffs? Talk to me after about the eye stories and about Emperor's Puffs. It's a, um, it's a tiny little hole-in-the-wall bakery in Chinatown and they sell these amazing kind of little doughy balls filled with custard and they're really quite cheap. But everyone that knows about them lines up for them because it's worth lining up for. And I remember going to get uh, some of these, a pack of these Emperor Puffs late one night with some friends and the, the line was probably about 10 minutes long and we kind of hopped in line, you know, thought this is worth it to get to the window and get these Emperor's Puffs. Um, about five minutes in, a couple that were standing in front of us, so they were in the line before us, turned around and said to me, what are we lining up for? (laughs) I don't know how long they were in the line before we got there, but they just saw a queue and thought, these people know the way to life, there's something good at the end of this, I'm just going to jump on and hope that someone can tell me where I'm going. Luckily, I could tell them that this was the right line, it was worth them staying in here. But I wonder if that's you. You know, I don't really know what I'm going, but I'm just kind of jumping onto the new idea, the new thing, and I'm not really sure what I'm lining up for, but I hope there's life at the end of this. You know, if the blind lead the blind, you'll fall into a pit. There is no certainty with trying to find life that way. Instead, Jesus is the way to life eternal. And so if you want life, follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, then you follow Jesus. It won't do to say one thing and then go off and do another or look for life elsewhere. This is what Jesus says you should do. He says you should look first to your teacher and then to yourself and then look to your brother. Why do you look to your teacher first? Well, you look to your teacher Jesus so that you know the way and then you look to yourself. You reflect, I guess, this is critical reflection, to see whether or not you are following the way of Jesus. And only after that, in humility, do you look to your brother or sister, your friend, your family, or perhaps even your enemy, to show them the way to eternal life. This is how you become a studious disciple. A disciple who studies the way of Jesus, who studies themselves and their own way, and then who studies others so that you might point them to the way of life that you yourself know. Let me pause again to pray here. Our Father, your Son is the way, the truth and the life. Give us life and hope in his name. Make us fully formed and fully trained disciples of Jesus who follow him wholeheartedly for eternal life, even as we point others to life and hope in Jesus with humility. Amen. Like Father, like Son, lastly, like disciples. Verses 43 to 49. Jesus continued, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, the house collapsed and its destruction was complete. I reckon as you read through this part of Jesus' sermon uh, on the plain, there's a lot of doing in in this passage. There's a lot of things that you have to do and that you should not do. And so I think it's really easy just to focus on the moral implications, the, the ethics of how to live this out, what you must do in order to follow Jesus. But did you see here, Jesus reminds us that all our doing actually first springs forth from our being, from who we are in our core, in our hearts. Now, we have a lemon tree at home, but I would really love to have an apple tree. Quite specifically, pink lady apples, got no time for Red Delicious or Granny Smith, pink lady apple tree would be amazing. Now, I could get our lemon tree and I could go to uh, the supermarket and I could buy a box full of pink lady apples and I could hang them off each of those branches and it might even look like an amazing kind of uh, pink lady apple tree or probably some kind of hybrid of a Christmas tree with apple baubles, I guess is what it would look like in, in reality. And it might look like an apple tree, but it's not. And when the tree actually does flower and does bud, it's going to produce lemons and not pink lady apples. It'll never be an apple tree just by dressing it up to look like one. It'll never be an apple tree that way. What needs to happen is the very core of that tree needs to be transformed. It needs to be changed that's a completely different tree. And this is in fact what the gospel of Jesus offers to you. Jesus offers you a new core. He offers you a new heart, a new identity as his disciple, as a child of the Most High God, just as Jesus is the very Son of the Father. So what is Jesus doing here? He's critiquing our heart by our deeds. He's critiquing your core by your speech. You know, self-help culture says, look within you to find your strength. Look within you to find who you are. But I think anyone who's ever seriously done that knows that looking inside will often always expose more darkness. It's one of those things that's actually better ignored and just, you know, get on partying with life. Don't look too deep within yourself. Jesus says, don't look within, look to him and build your life on his words. He is the only foundation that can bring you through all the torrents of this life, even through death itself. And so this is how you become a fruitful disciple of Jesus, who is like him 
and also like the Father. You hear the words of Jesus. You believe the words of Jesus. You are transformed by Jesus so that then you might go do the words of Jesus and put them into practice. I think actually when you look at this passage, one of the things I noticed is that you can kind of work backwards through this passage to see the logic. You can actually see where we've ended up and go back to see what Jesus is talking about at the core of this passage. You know, firstly, how you become a fruitful disciple who does what Jesus says? Well, it's by having your heart transformed, by becoming a new type of tree through the Lord Jesus. And how will your heart be transformed by Jesus? It'll be transformed by Jesus as you become his understudy, his studious understudy by sitting under his word, his teaching, his counsel, his guidance, by reflecting and acknowledging your own failures, your own hypocrisy and need for forgiveness, and by rebuking and correcting and training your brothers and sisters with humility, always pointing them to the life that you yourself know in Christ. And thirdly, why do you need a transformed heart? Well, isn't it so that you can be merciful just as your Heavenly Father is merciful, so that you can express to others the riches of His kindness to you, so that others might know the truth and the wisdom and the security of life and hope in Jesus, just as you do. Because you are a child of the Father. Jesus exhorts you, be merciful, be studious, be fruitful, as a disciple of the Son, of the Father. Let me pray to wrap us up. Our Father, we thank you that you have brought us out of darkness and into your light, that you have taken us who were not a people and made us a people, that we have become your children, the children of the Most High, Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would make us like the Father, that we would be merciful as you are, that you would help us to be studious disciples of the Lord Jesus, that we would be like our teacher and sit under his word, his counsel and his guidance, and that having changed our hearts, we would be fruitful disciples who hear your word and do what it says, that we might be like your Son, in every way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.